0: Good to be here at Calvary Baptist, Uh, I think it was Brother Satterfield, Betty's husband, when he was a deacon there at uh, Valley View where I was at. He would get up there maybe before he sang and he would say, well, good evening, welcome to Valley View Baptist Church. I'd rather be here than any jail in Tulsa County. And everybody, you know, he'd tell that joker I was like, heck yeah, I've been in a few of them. Uh, We wouldn't want to be there, Bill, because Bill's probably never been there. Bill was a good guy good, hard-working young man. Uh, Monday, Monday, I, 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 well, every day I try to text Jill so she kind of knows where I'm floating, and I text her trustee just what I kind of got planned today. And Monday, I, I and I, if you ever want to know what I'm ever doing, just let me know, and I'll let you look at my Wednesday sermon. they will tell you what I'm doing during the week. I write it down when I get it done. But Monday, I just kind of text her. I say, hey, I'm studying from home. And, and I was working on obviously this a message and, and and reading ahead for Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and um, but what I did is what you what Jill didn't know and the trustees didn't know is when I got done studying that morning, uh, I finished up lunch about one o'clock and I I went on uh, what I call a dream drive. I like I like windshield time obviously because I drive forty miles to get here. Hospice and you're always driving thirty five, forty thousand miles a year, and so I. I drove around here after I did a little research, and down here off of 129th, uh, there's an assisted living, and down off of Lake Adams Road, there's a uh, nursing home, which I think I've been to many moons ago when I was first started hospice. And so, I uh, was just a little dream driving, drove down here, obviously to the, uh, where the the lower part of the dam and just stuff like that, drove around that area where people camp out. I used to do a lot of, ooh, the God camping, you know, where you just camp out of the back of your truck overnight and then you go home the next day because that way you can actually eat when you get home. But uh, just did a little driving like that, driving around, just dream driving. And and uh, today I texted Jill and, and the guy and the trustees that, that i would be doing, I'll be finishing up this message at home and then I would be in the office for obviously the, Finance Committee, and of course tonight, and I was doing some more dream driving today, and and so one of the things I'm going to do, uh, it may not be till next week, but I'm going to get a hold of the people at the assisted living, get all the people at that nursing home to see if they need a Bible study or something like that. Uh, you probably don't want me leading too many hymns to them a cappella, but I definitely like to do Bible studies, and the reason I say that is it's it's, all, it's something I've done. I mean, when I first surrendered to preach that April of 1986, I thought, well, within three months, my pastor was going to find me a church or something like that. I just knew he was. And and I remember getting a phone call on that landline probably around maybe last of May because Evergreen Care Center at the Baptist Village had just opened up that April of May. It was a brand-new nursing home there at the Owasso Baptist Village. I didn't think nothing about that. I did a lot of volunteer at the children's home at that time. And Karen and I... We're fixing to get married that November, and Brother Bob says, Brother Steve, he said, i find you a place to preach. I'm thinking, I said, well, what's the name of the church? He goes, Evergreen Care Center. I was like, where is that? He said, that's the Baptist Village. And on June 1st, 1986, usually around June 1st, I drive to that nursing home. You know what I do to that nursing home? I walk in the front door. I wave at everybody. I walk into an area where they would typically have lunch, and they have a little lectern. They have the same lectern they had in 1986, and I walk over to that lectern, and I put it over there, kind of sit right there, and I just look out there where people were in jerry chairs and drooling and hit each other with canes or whatever. That's where I cut my teeth for 10 years in nursing homes, cut my teeth on figuring out who I wasn't, who I was. What I believed, I discovered, expository preaching. I didn't know that's what it was called at a nursing home in Elmhurst, Illinois, when we lived in Chicago. Chicagoland. So I always remind myself where I come from. And so been doing nursing homes since 1986. And now usually when I'm bivocational, like when I was at the church at Midway, it was kind of hard to do that. But hospice sometimes would have me do Bible studies. And that's where I met Linda, because I was doing Sherwood during that time, uh, back when probably about the time, about a year after Brother Haley had passed away, not knowing that I was praying with her about this church as y'all were looking for a pastor. I mean, there's weird things like that. But my point is, is I'm going to try to tap into those two. Um, they may not need a, a Tuesday. They may not need a Thursday. They may need something on Saturday mornings, and that's what I'll do. If that's that's what they need, I'll try to see if I can maybe fill in. Yes, sir. We have a former member that, co- that lives in Green Tree, Jack West. Oh, really? Okay. Didn't oh okay. Is that related to you? Somehow? Okay, I saw an old directory in there from 2016. I saw a picture of him. Yeah, I saw it today rummaging through my office. Okay, okay, yeah, because I know you're just right there. Okay, okay. Well, remind me when I if I go over there, I need to go see Jack West on a regular basis. I'll put him on my list for facility people because I only had Melvin and uh, Linda this facility so remind me to write that in my little my little OCD book here because I, I keep uh, keep track of what I do I make myself a little list of what I'm going to do and I've got the directory there and all that kind of good stuff so do it the old-fashioned way just write it down so that's what I'm kind of planning on doing so once I find out if they had that need or they would like to do something like that another thing because I've done hospice so long and I've offered it to nursing homes before they don't normally tap into it, but sometimes they have to do regular in services of some kind, you know, of all kinds of stuff. Well, I might be able to do an in service for the employees on grief expression and how to let go and just things like that. It might be something I could do there to help out the staff. Uh, when I pastored in western Kentucky, that was the first thing I did when I went there. There was a there was a nursing home in Henderson, Kentucky, just outside of Basket, Kentucky, the the county seat, Henderson. And I got in there, and every Tuesday, I was doing about three or four hymns. And I was there for an hour and a half. And, and how if, you, if Well, I mean, Joel and uh, Crystal didn't get to see me at the nursing home at Bella Rose. But what I do is, after the sermon, I'm going around shaking hands, you know, because they can't come forward or anything, so if they have a need and everything. And so I would do that. I would spend about two hours at that nursing home every week, every Tuesday. And I'd been doing it for about three months. i have been telling the people what I was doing and telling them what it was like. And what they didn't know is while I'm preaching maybe to grandma who's drooling or somebody over there in a jerry chair, what they didn't know is staff was listening. They'd they peek around the corner and maybe sit there and look during their break and listen and everything. They didn't know all that. So I had, a, I had, I had one of my chairman and deacons come to me, and he met me in the office one day. need to talk to you. Okay, so Monday morning we sit down. He goes, what do you do at the nursing home? And I told him. He said, well, you, you know, none of those people are going to come to church. I said, well, that's why I'm going to them because they can't come to church, and I said, what you don't know is some of these employees, you know, I'm handing out cards, I'm letting them know, so the point is, is don't think that it's just all going to go there and stay there, because I saw a few of those ladies at that nursing home in Kentucky, eventually, they didn't stay at our church, probably because of the drama, but they came. They came 10 miles east of Henderson and went to church. We had people coming from Evansville, Indiana, another 10 miles north, so because I was able to do things like that. And it's just something uh, that my pastor that I preached his funeral, what, about a month ago. He reminded me when I started preaching there at Evergreen. And, of course, I'm thinking, you know, got the old folks home, you know. And and I've got a lot of stories I can tell you about that that place. But I, that's when I began to realize uh, how to engage people. Because let's say David's the little man at the front door. When I come in the front door, he goes, I'm waiting on my daughter. Okay, well. Well, uh, she didn't show up by telling me, she didn't show up, can you take me home? You got figure out how to humor David to where he's not gonna be mad at you when you leave and not let him go out. So I began to learn how to engage with some senior adults that have dementia or or something like that, or maybe they're just dreaming and la la lamb. But there was a lot of people that, that benefited from those ministries. I mean when me and Larry did Bella Rose, of course that's more of a independent, but uh, we did that for almost six or seven years, and, and they actually gave and different everything, not that we're going to have it, them do anything like that, but but just so you know, if it's something that you would be interested in, to go with me, or even if it's just occasionally, because I'm sure it'll be a once a month thing, that they'll probably schedule me to, to do, but uh, anyways, that said, <clears throat> we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5 tonight, we're on our... Ninth question and answer, you know, we're catechizing ourselves, we're asking a question and giving an answer, and then we're going to the scripture proofs that prove the answer to that question. And of course, last week we used Genesis 3 and John chapter 3 to talk about how sin was illustrated and how sin was, was um, I can't remember the second point, redeemed, or how sin was, uh, was eradicated, uh, recovered, redeemed. And so tonight we're still at that theme of sin, but now that we know that man has transgressed God's law by either failing to do what God's told him to do or disobeying and not doing what he said to do, now that we know man is a transgressor, the question is this. Has God left all mankind in the state of condemnation due to the nature of a disobeying God. In other words, they have a nature of disobeying God. We're all transgressors, so has God left us in that state to just remain disobedient and condemned? Well, the answer is, God has, in his wisdom, shown grace and mercy toward all who call on him in Christ for full and re- eternal redemption. Because listen, if... if if God would have, in his sovereignty, chose to just leave us in that state, can you imagine yourself being in your lost state still? Where it would have took you? How far it would have took you? Uh, somebody asked me one time when I shared my salvation about, liking well, I can really drink a lot and party on the weekend, be a functional drug. I said, uh, I think it was one of my chaplain friends, he said, well, where would you be today? And I was about 52 at that time. That's why I'd probably be one of your cirrhosis patients if I wasn't in prison for killing somebody, drinking and driving. I said, that's where I'd be. I said, I definitely wouldn't have any hope. And so, think about that. I mean, just for a second, I don't know how far you were into, um, I guess, call it gross sin, but you were a sinner, even if you were just deceived in your own self-righteousness. Where would you be without hope, peace, uh, joy, I mean, real joy? Where would you be just with those, without those three eternal things that obviously would receive a salvation? Would you be hopeless kind of person living in the world we live in today? Or would you not be hopeless, but you just wouldn't have a lot of joy? I mean, just think about that. Where would you be if you, were, if you remained in that condemned state? What would you have done for a living? Would your, would your, would your career have been different or whatever? Would you have married somebody different? All that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying, therefore, go, oh, that's what I would have been. Just, just think about that. If God would have just left mankind, Adam and Eve and all of us, in that state and never did anything and never planned anything before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> what a world we would live in. If you will turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, first. I'll get turned there myself. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 14. We won't land there very long, trust me, because we still got to go through Romans 5, verse 12 through 21. But in Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14, we ask the question then, what has God done, right? Well, God has a plan according to his wisdom. In other words, because he hasn't left us in that state he has a plan according to his wisdom god has a plan according to his wisdom in verse three through six of ephesians chapter one and i hope i didn't say philippians did i ephesians one verse three through six god set his people apart look at verse three through six this was part of his plan according to his wisdom okay and remember when we say according to god's wisdom that means something way beyond the end of our nose we could speculate all we want to. He has his own wisdom. He has his own pleasure. He does what he wants, when he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, for whatever reason he wants. And because he's a holy God, he can have those powers. You know, He can be trusted with those powers. God has a plan according to his wisdom. Verse 3 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before his love, having predestined us to adoption as sons or daughters, children, by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted, accepted in the beloved or loved of God. God has a plan according to his wisdom so we don't remain in that condemned state. And in verse 3 through 6, part of that wise plan is he sets apart a people that he's going to redeem by himself. Now, of course, if you've been brother, around Brother Haling long enough, you know, that's talking about election, predestination. And try to figure that out and make your brain go to cottage cheese, you know. I mean, you know, I remember when I first heard about what, the election in the Bible and these kind of verses. I racked my little brand new Christian brain thinking, but why would he choose me? Like there was something that I guess that I had that was attractive that he would choose me. And I finally came to the answer. Well, I had nothing attractive, I guess, because he wanted to. It pleased him. Because that's what it just said. Because it pleased the Father, he chose you. That's it. And, of course, by the time you get in verse 6, it's what? Therefore, he receives glory. That's why he receives such glory. And so... The first thing we see concerning God has a plan according to his wisdom, he's not going to leave us in that condemned state, uh, all, all of mankind in that condemned state. Uh, God set apart a people because it pleased him. Now think about that. You have nothing attractive. I have nothing to attract God other than I, obviously I'm a sinner. I guess that's the only thing that, that made God kind of pay attention to me, right? I mean, you know, hmm, there's that guy. There's that gal. But out of his pleasure, he chose to adopt you. He chose to bring you into his family by his grace through his son. In his wisdom, he set apart a people. In verse 7 through 12, God not only set his people apart, God gathered his people together. He not only set you apart... But in his wisdom, he knew how to draw you in, right? Look at verse 7 through 12. In him we have redemption. That is in Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will we read part of that last week. According to his good pleasure, once again, which he pur- purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, in other words, at the right time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That, that's that, he's gathering that body, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined for the inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Once again, God set his people apart because it pleased him. In his wisdom He chose us for his pleasure. God gathers his people together. He he not only chooses me, he knows how to gather in the fullness of time, at the right time when joy needed to come to Christ. He drew her. But yet in 1983, he was drawing me. And whatever your day or season was, he was drawing you. In his wisdom, he not only chose us, but he gathered and called us. Uh, The theologians call that the effectual call. We call it irresistible grace. We just simply responded to life like we did in our mother's womb. He set a people apart by his pleasure. He gathered a people together effectively through his call in his wisdom. Verse 13 through 14, God set his people apart. God gathered his people together and God sealed his people securely. Verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted. Do you see our part? We simply responded with trust. How could we do that? Because he awakened our hearts. Otherwise we would have never believed. Because we wouldn't have known anything to believe. We were dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, that foolishness of preaching... The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise. What's the promise? Who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That is when we experience our full redemption and glorification, right? Spirit, body, and mind is totally redeemed to the praise of his glory. Three times he's mentioned God's pleasure, God's purpose, and all three times to his glory, for his glory, for his glory. So if someone ever looked at you and just said, why would God even save you? This is your answer. The only thing I know is so so he would be glorified. And then just tell him how rotten of a sinner you are, you know, outside of Christ, and therefore, when he redeemed me, that's why he received so much glory. That's why I received glory. So God has a plan according to his wisdom. And in his wisdom, he he sets the people apart. He knows the right time to to pull them in and gather them in. And as he gathers them in and they truly believe and they truly trust because their eyes are open, he seals them to the day of full redemption. Because on the day you were saved, your spirit was justified. It was made alive. It was justified before God by his mercy. He gave us what we didn't deserve. He called us righteous in Jesus Christ. He justified us. Now we're walking out that faith of justification being sanctified. And that sometimes that hurts. Because sometimes, like Paul, we've got to beat the flesh. Sometimes we've got to confess sin. But it's a sanctification to mature us. To, to make us, uh, bring us closer, uh, to reflect Christ in our lives. But it's a struggle. Like Paul said in Romans 7, there's things I should do and I don't. And there's things I shouldn't do, but I do. He's describing sanctification there in chapter 7. In chapter 6, he says, you're saved by grace. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, but just don't abuse it. And he says, so don't abuse grace. And know that grace is still working because he says, thank God through Jesus Christ, I'm saved from this old body of flesh that I'm struggling with. That's sanctification. And then he jumps into chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And by the time he finishes that chapter, you know all things are going to work together for your good. You know why? Because the Spirit of God is praying for you when you don't know what to pray. He's praying the will of God for you. So the will of God's going to happen to you because he's praying for you. And on the other side of chapter 28, Jesus is forever interceding for you. And I don't know anywhere in the New Testament if Jesus was praying that God didn't answer his prayer. Therefore, you know all things are going to work together for you to love God and call according to his purpose. So chapter 6, you're justified by faith. Don't abuse it. Chapter 7, you're going to be sanctified and struggle. And chapter 8, you're going to be glorified because pretty soon he says, by the end of it all, You know that nothing can be charged against you and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus awaiting your glorification. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, God has a plan according to his wisdom. He's not going to leave us in our, he's not going to leave his people in their condemnation. He's going to to choose some out of all, he's going to gather them at the right time, and he's going to seal them the Holy Spirit, as a, as a down payment, a guarantee of eternal life. I think of it this way. The Bible talks about there's joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit, right? I can't remember what scripture it is, but it says that. Do you always experience joy, Crystal? Do you always experience peace? Do you always experience righteousness, Joe? But you have moments of it, right? And you go, well, where'd that peace be understanding come from? That came from the Holy Spirit as a, as a guarantee to remind you. You're set apart for God. And when you all of a sudden just have that joy that you can't, it's joy unspeakable when you're up there singing maybe, you're feeling it and that's just the Holy Spirit saying, he's in you. It's a down payment, it's a taste. And when you when you do something right and you know you did it for the right reason, you do it for the glory of God, but you can't do it every day because you're struggling like Paul is, but when you do it and you go, "Wow! how did that happen? Because I know my depraved mind, I know my... Proclivities and, and you go, wow. It's just a guarantee. It's a, it's a down payment showing you that you do have the Holy Spirit. And those are tastes of peace, joy, and righteousness that when we step into glorification, it becomes eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal righteousness. And that's all we know because now we're in a new state. And so God has a plan According to his wisdom, he chooses a people. At the right time, he draws them in and gathers them. And when he gathers them, he seals them to the day of full redemption. He has a plan according to his wisdom. Go over to Romans chapter 5. Get there myself. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. God not only has a plan according to his wisdom, God has a person according to his wisdom. In verse 12 through 14, before Christ, we are bound to Adam's nature of sin and corruption. Look at verse 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam, even before there was law, right? Adam to Moses, it still reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to to the likeness of transgression of Adam, which is a type of him who was to come. The one who would be tempted, but yet without sin. And we're going to talk about that. But before we were saved, before Christ, we were bound to Adam's nature of sin and corruption. Now, I had a a young lady go with me on a Monday night, when back when you could get water bill lists you know and find out who moved the neighborhood knew and you could go knock on their door and say hi we're with central baptist they're like oh how did you find out about me you know and and we and we went in there and i shared my my very dramatic testimony and it was a young man who said yeah i partied too and and he just said that's nice and i prayed with him and when I, and i left with two 16 year old girls in my jeep i was headed back to the church And one of the 16-year-old girls said, Steve, I wish I had a testimony I could have told him. And I stopped the car out there. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I was just six when I got saved. I said, that's your testimony. You got saved from sin. And I told her in that car for almost 30 minutes how much blood it would take to save her versus me. I said, same amount. She said, can we go back to that house? So an hour later, we knock at the door. We go in there. He goes, yeah. I said, she wants to share her testimony. She thought you had to have, you know, some story. You know, you had a .42 breathalyzer and, I don't know, you have robbed a bank and murdered three people and loved it or something like that. She went in there and shared with him how her daddy, when she was five and a half, six years old, she had some questions about baptism, and she said, and my daddy just led me in a prayer to ask Jesus in my heart. And she reiterated whatever she said she prayed. That 24-year-old man fell on his knees on the floor of his living room. He said, I need Jesus. And we prayed with him. And he never did go back to church. We gave him contacts. Anyway, long story short is, we get back in the car and this girl's like on cloud nine. See, I never realized I had a testimony. I said, all it is is I was once lost and now I'm saved. It didn't matter if you were 5, 95, 55, 25. It didn't matter. You, You realize you were lost and guilty and on your way to hell. Well, that young lady realized that she was just as lost as me. Because before Christ, she was bound to Adam's nature of sin and corruption. Once that got in her little brain, the other day she found me on Facebook. And she's the sister of one of my classmates. And she's a real estate agent. And she reached out to me last night. Well, hey, Michelle. She goes, I remember that night. I said, well, you still sharing? Post my back, yes. It's awesome. I don't know where she goes to the church. Somewhere in Owasso. But there we are. In God's wisdom, there we were bound. But in God's wisdom, he had a person. Now, the first person he mentions is the person that we're bound to. We're just as sinful as he was, and he was just as sinful before the law. He was sinful from Adam to Moses. And then in the law, it just became more defined what sin was or what, what we should do or shouldn't do. But the bottom line is, he says, all of us have sinned. We're bound to that Adamic nature first time I used the word Adamic nature, a lady came up to me after church. She goes, why were you cussing? So I had to spell it out for her. So I thought that'd be funny. But his wisdom pers- pursued us. There were bound. We were bound. It didn't matter if you were going to church as a kid, not going to church as a kid, or an adult. God pursued you. And we talked about that last week in Genesis 3. When he was walking through the garden, he knew exactly where Adam and Eve was. But he says, Adam, where are you? For Adam's benefit, he could hear God calling him. Sitting there in his sin and his nakedness. And then once he got there, what did you do? Uh, and Of course, he blamed the woman, the woman blamed the devil. And basically, they were blaming God. So before Christ, we are bound to Adam's nature of sin and corruption. Verse 15 through 17. By Christ... We are liberated by his gift of life and righteousness. We're once bound without him before him. But once we come to Christ, once we're in Christ, we are liberated with his gift of life and righteousness. Look at verse 15 through 17. But the free gift, you know, you were, you're lost through Adam. You're inbound. You're bound to sin and corruption. But the free gift is not like the offense. In other words, Adam's offense and your offense, this other thing is not the same. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, Adam, the sin nature, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses, the offenses that Jesus, you know, paid for, resulted in justification, being justified in spite of our sin. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Why did God not just leave us in our condemnation? Because he had a plan according to his wisdom and he had a person according to his wisdom. The one person brought condemnation. The next person, the one and only person, set us free. With life and righteousness, he declared us. His wisdom pursued us, and by Jesus Christ, his wisdom purchased us. He bought us with a price. Then verse 18 through 21 In Christ, before Christ, by Christ, in Christ, we are justified in Christ's redemptive work and declaration. Look at verse eighteen through twenty-one. Therefore, or in conclusion, because Adam couldn't save you, but Jesus could. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam judgment came to all men. And by the way, there's a there's a Greek word for all right there. You know what it is? All. In English, anyways, all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous or declared righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, it would be defined by the law. You know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But when sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Romans 6, you know. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. That means it's it's high. Through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Romans chapter 5, God has a person according to his wisdom. Through Adam, that person, we get sin and corruption. In Christ we receive life and righteousness. In Christ we had that life and righteousness because of his work, and because he's declared us righteous through him. His wisdom pursued us, his wisdom through Christ purchased us, and his wisdom once again. Secures us, secures us in his righteousness that's declared upon us. So just because God has declared you righteous and tomorrow you don't do something righteous or you do something you're going, oops, mm, should have had that attitude, (coughs) you're still righteous in Christ because Christ hasn't made any mistakes, he hadn't done anything. His righteousness, righteousness, say that ten times, has been declared upon you of course, the fancy word for that is imputation, right? And he talked about earlier, he used that word when sin was imputed on us. In other words, we were accredited as sinners and corrupt, all of sin. So as we think about those que- the question, has God left all mankind in the state of condemnation due to the nature of disobeying God? That's our nature, that's our bent. Our answer was, God has in his wisdom, shown grace, he has shown mercy toward all who will call on him in Christ for full and eternal redemption. He does that by a plan according to his wisdom. He does that by a person according to his wisdom. He sets us apart. He gathers us at the right time and when he does he secures us. Gives us a guarantee, a down payment. So that when you do experience some kind of peace beyond understanding, that's the Holy Spirit saying, that's me. When you do feel a joy unspeakable, that's me. When you do do something for the glory of God and you're like, how did that happen? How did all that work out? The Holy Spirit's saying, it's me. And that's just a taste, Steve. That's just a taste, Deborah, of what it's going to be like on the other side. that's the state, that's the only state you know and it's constant, it's eternal joy, peace and righteousness God has a plan, God has a person according to his wisdom according to his pleasure and according to his purpose so when you think about God saving you there was nothing attractive to us uh, from us other than Well, we need to be saved. Uh, I guess maybe not that God picks the worst sinners, because listen, if he did, he'd be picking people like Adolf Hitler and people like that, right? Not that he can't save people like that, right? But listen, I know some very good people. I know one man, my father-in-law. He's no longer with us. And I told Karen a long time ago, I couldn't have picked better in-laws. They loved what I was doing. They talked to me about the Bible. They thought it was great that I was doing the hospice, but they don't know the Lord. And when Grandpa died of a heart attack, a massive heart attack at the kitchen table, unless he had that deathbed conversion at the moment he was having a heart attack, he died and stood before God, judged without Christ. And he's not experiencing joy, peace, and righteousness. I still remember that letter Karen found a couple weeks ago. She had shared the gospel when she got saved at Kansas State University. She shared with her daddy, well, after we got married, he wrote her a letter. And all they could talk about is like, well, my Jesus wouldn't judge people. My Jesus, my Jesus. And it was always denying what the Bible would say, that we know our Jesus. And so she had to explained to another, letter, well, my Jesus doesn't send people to hell either, daddy. They go there because they deserve to go. He didn't want to hear that. When my daughter was fixed to go off to Cardiff, Wales, England, uh, for a mission trip to the uh, Falls Creek group, uh, she wanted to write a letter to her grandma and grandpa Stevenson, and she wrote a letter to grandpa about a month before she went, and to grandma. And the letter that she got back was, "I'm okay, you're okay." Then when Joey, when Josh got saved miraculously at his freshman year at NSU, he wanted to go see my mom and dad. He obviously came to us. He went to our pastor. But he said, i got to go to Kansas City and visit Grandma and Grandpa. I said, well, go. And he, he left NSU and just drove to Olin Park, Kansas. And he, and he spent about a week there sharing his faith. But their only answer was, well, I'm okay. You're okay. Because they were true to their universalism that says, I'm going to teach you to find your and in their minds he's found his way so we're happy for David and then I guess if Crystal chooses Buddhism well she's found her way they were true to their vision grandpa was true to death and it's appointed once for men to die and he's standing there probably thinking hmm that sermon Steve preached at that advanced Baptist church oops hmm that time my daughter shared the gospel or maybe because they did grow up in a Protestant church up in Detroit. Maybe he's thinking of that little Sunday school flannel board maybe. That someone's telling him about Bible story. I don't know. Maybe he left this world without God. As far as we know. According to his profession. That's all we can go by. But God has a plan. According to his wisdom. And in that wisdom he has a person. And he gathers his people to save them for his glory so the next time somebody says well then why did god save you for his glory that's all i can tell you my friend because there's nothing good in me and then that's a good opener to say this is why i needed to be saved i was once lost and now i'm found so we're going to open up in um, prayer request if i believe so